to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's on your large print sheets, of course, 1 Timothy 3. But you'll also find it in your pew Bibles. 1 Timothy 3. And uh, so this is looking at pages 1603 and 04. 1603 and continue on to 1604. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter First Timothy chapter 3, here now, the word of God. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, 
justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we start a three-part series today on 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. So we're taking a break from the law of God for several weeks. We see from our text today that Paul proclaims that the church preserves and maintains the truth. The church preserves and maintains the truth. Now, one of the questions that we should ask is, what is the church all about? What is it all about? What is its mission? Well, we know, of course, that the church is to worship God. That's obvious. That's why we've gathered here today for the worship of God. It is to show love to all of the members. That's another good thing, obviously. Furthermore, it is to preach the gospel to the world. But in order to do that, indeed, in order to do all those things, it must be founded on the truth of the word of God. And it must, in other words, it must reflect then biblical teaching. And it must maintain and preserve that truth as well. Now this, of course, is a letter by the great Apostle Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, that is to say, missionary to the world, the non-Jewish world, missionary to the nations, that outside of Israel. Timothy, to whom he was writing, was a young preacher to whom Paul wrote two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now, the first epistle of Timothy was written in order to instruct young Timothy as to how he should conduct himself in the church. That's what you find here in verse 15. But in that regard, how to set in place the structure. In chapter 3, we see the two basic offices of elders or presbyters and deacons. Now, let me pause here just a moment. Did you see how it's worded here, though? It doesn't say elder, does it? It says bishop. But when you look at all of Scripture, you see that bishop and elder essentially are the same office looked at from two different angles. For example, we can talk about the President of the United States. We can also call him the Chief Executive. We can also call him the commander-in-chief, and so forth. And so the term bishop means overseer. The term elder refers to the character in terms of someone who is mature. So two different ways of describing the same office, that of bishop or elder. So there's no hierarchy. There's no pyramid structure here. Um, I'm a minister, I'm a teaching elder, T.J. Patillo is a ruling elder, but in terms of our authority in the church, we are equal. We're on a par with each other. So the bishop or the elder, the presbyter, but then also you saw the deacons. 
And so these are the two basic offices, the elder or the bishop to deal primarily with the spiritual needs of the church, the uh, apostles giving themselves over to the ministry of the word and of prayer and appointing deacons in Acts chapter 6 who could handle the mercy ministry. So both of these then are needed. Well, it's in that context then we come to verses 15 and 16 towards the close uh, of this chapter. And the first thing I want to note here today is the whole idea of truth. The whole idea of truth. Now, you remember how remember how Pontius Pilate, the governor before whom Jesus was brought when Jesus was on trial, Remember what what Pilate said when Jesus said, I bear witness to the truth? And Pilate said, what is truth? Cynical, you say, skeptical, right? But truth, my friends, is something, although the world often dismisses it or twists it, perverts it, distorts it, truth is something that is very important. Truth is that is something which is objective. That is to say, by definition, it is outside of ourselves. It's outside of ourselves. We do not become the measuring rod for what truth is. Truth is something that God gives us from the outside. So truth, then, is not determined by our emotions. Truth is not determined by our feelings. Truth is not determined by majority vote. This nation could vote in favor of all kinds of horrible things. Homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism, and so forth. But none, but doesn't matter how many people vote in favor of it, doesn't change the notion of truth. So, in this regard, I could say, well, um, is it raining today? Doesn't matter how I feel about it, it's either raining or it isn't, right? Has nothing to do with my feelings. How I feel about whether it is raining or not is irrelevant. How I feel about the fact that two plus two equals Five. Oh, I'm sorry, four, right? Two plus two equals four. Just want to make sure you're paying attention. How I feel about that is irrelevant. Truth is objective. There's no such thing as, well, this is my truth and you have your truth. There's only one truth. Furthermore, in order to be able to communicate a message, you must be committed to the idea of truth. Otherwise, it would make no sense to say anything at all. If you have anything to say that is of any use, truth must exist. And furthermore, the Bible everywhere emphasizes the importance of truth. Indeed, as we will see, the truth. Let's just look a few passages then. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and following. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and following. Where we read in this passage, 
Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desire to the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Then he goes on to say, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, the thing does not happen or come to pass. In other words, it's not true. That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Look in the book of Psalms, Psalm 85. Psalm 85. Verses 10 and 11, Psalm 85. Psalm 85, starting in verse 10, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Psalm 86, the next psalm, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. The issue of truth. Psalm 117, verse 2. We'll be singing, Lord willing, after the benediction this afternoon, all of Psalm 117. Psalm 117, verse 2. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We find this also in the book of Proverbs. For example, Proverbs chapter 22. There are many places we could look at. This is just a sampling. Proverbs chapter 22, reading verses 20 and 21. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. And chapter 23, verse 23, buy the truth, purchase it, buy the truth, and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding, which of course are related concepts, are they not? Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Isaiah 8, verse 20. Where we read, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And then in the New Testament, 
Look at John 8, verse 32, the Gospel of John 8, verse 32. John 8 and verse 32. Where Jesus says, very famously, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And of course, in general terms, that's true, but it's also true very specifically as well. That is to say, the truth as it is in Jesus. Several chapters later, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, John 17, verse 17, this has been one of our memory verses, as you are well aware. John 17, and verse 17 where Jesus says to his father sanctify them by thy truth thy word is truth and then also in 2nd John in 2nd John the second epistle of John so way back uh, towards the very end of the Bible 2nd John verses 1 and 2 2nd John John writes the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth and not only I but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever so we see first of all as a concept as an idea truth is very important We know that the devil, Jesus said, is the murderer and the liar from the beginning. We know that Jesus, of course, is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But let me also suggest that as we come back to 1 Timothy 3 now, that the truth which Paul is talking about here is not just general, it is general, It's not just general to the word of God, but it is also specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The gospel is the most important truth since it is the good news of how to be reconciled with God. Look for just a moment at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. You may remember some time ago I was preaching in Ephesians. I preached on this. I'm going to read it the way I think it should be translated. Therefore, having put aside the lie, let each of one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What I'm suggesting here then is that what Paul is saying is that having put off the devil's lie, having rejected the lie, and having you therefore clothe yourself with the truth, which is specifically the truth about the gospel having put aside, having, having done that, having shed yourself of that wickedness, of that dirty clothing, having 
gotten rid of that, having cast it aside, that is to say the lie that the devil tells saying that you can be as gods and you can work out, you can have your own salvation your way. In contrast to that, having done that, having understood the gospel, having understood it, now in accordance with the truth of, that is found in Jesus, which you have embraced, therefore speak the truth one to another. Look at Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, where Paul writes, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Literally, let him go to hell. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. In other words, this is a rejection of the truth that this other, that this false prophet is saying. And Paul is saying that must be rejected. And again, look at 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4, which again is to the point of rejecting a false message. 1 John, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, where John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so the truth of, of which Paul particularly is writing here is not just truth in general, although certainly that's the context, but it is specifically the truth as it is in Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, let's go back then to 1 Timothy 3 as we look then at the rest of verse 15 where Paul says how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we have here these two words, pillar and ground, or pillar and foundation. Now a pillar, you know what a pillar is, like a column, it's like a post that holds things up, used to support a building. Now, foundation, the word for foundation has been translated various ways, including ground and foundation. Now, we need to be clear here. We don't want to say that the church is the foundation of the truth in the sense that the church determines what truth is. That would make truth subjective, that is to say, according or subject to man's interpretation. That cannot be true. But the point is, is that the church stands firm in the truth. The church stands firm in the truth. 
In the next epistle of Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul writes, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, maintaining the truth about Jesus. And not only that, but also there, there seems to be in one of the related words for foundation that we have in our text, there's the idea of like a seat. So maybe you could put it this way. The, the church stands firm in the truth and it couches it. It couches it. So what do these figures mean then? The church supports the truth. And furthermore, the church brings attention to the truth, just like a throne is a place on which a queen sits. So you have the throne, and the point of the throne is not to point to the throne. The point of the throne is to point to the king or the queen. So how then does the church do these things? And here I borrow from Um, uh, Dr. Hendrickson in his commentary it does so by digesting by digesting what the Bible says 2 Timothy 2.15 be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth in other words understand it digest it accept it It does so not only by digesting what the Bible says, but also by declaring what the Bible says. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 28, giving the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go and preach the gospel to every creature. And so by declaring what Jesus says, what the Bible says, it does so by defending the Bible as well. It does so by... Uh, defending the Bible and defending the truth. In Philippians 1.16, um, well, going on to verse 18, Paul says, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. And then also Colossians 3 Colossians 3, in Colossians 3, verses 12 and following, Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone is a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In other words, we are not only to digest what the Bible says and to declare what it says and to defend the Bible, but we are to demonstrate its power in our lives 
by means of faithful and holy lives to demonstrate that to ourselves, to, that is to say to the body of Christ and to demonstrate it to the watching world. This is also how the church supports and promotes the truth. But the third thing that I want to look at since we talked about truth and then the figures of pillar and foundation the third thing as we come back to 1 Timothy 3 is to talk about the church the church of the living God the church of the living God that word church is ecclesia ecclesia which means the called ones we are the ones who are called out of the world We are called to be separated from rebellion and unbelief. 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We are called out from the world and the world system. We are also called unto God. We are called to be those who are his servants, his slaves, we might say his servants. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter writes, but you are a chosen, a called, you could say, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we are called out of of the world and called unto God, but most importantly, we are called by God if we are truly the called ones. Romans 8 and and verse 30. Romans 8 and verse 30, Paul writes, Starting in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In other words, it is God's effectual call. It is a powerful call. It accomplishes his sovereign purposes in calling his elect unto himself. And so the church then consists of those who are called, called to reject the world, called to follow Christ, and called by Christ. The church here also is described as the house of God, the house of God. For we are adopted into God's family. And furthermore, God dwells, God dwells in our midst. That's what we read here. God dwells in our midst. We are the temple of God. We are the house of God. We are the church of the living God. Indeed, this is a reference to the fact that God is the true the actual, the true, and the living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not the pretend God of Islam, which is no God at all. 
Therefore, because it is the living God, the church of the living God, therefore his word has authority and is true. I have two point, the three points of application today, and the first is this. Never forget that you cannot have Christianity or the church without a foundation of truth. You cannot have Christianity or the church without a foundation of truth. I'm reminded here of one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah 8, verses 3 and 8. Zechariah 8, where we read, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. It is a holy city. It is a city of truth. In verse 8, I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection? He said that if the resurrection isn't true, we are of all men most miserable and we are liars. But we're of all men most miserable. What are we doing? Why aren't we just playing today? Why are we here? There's only one reason. That is because Jesus rose again from the dead. If he didn't, if that's false, if that's not true, then what's the point? But my friends, it is true. And it is part of the foundation then of what the church is all about. The church cannot exist without that truth. Secondly, beware. Beware of false churches that do not maintain the truth. Now, in general terms, we can say this with regard to the law of God, with regard to the order. And and Paul was talking about, even talking about church structure, wasn't he, in the context here. Let's look just for a moment at Romans 1, which we read today, earlier. Romans chapter 1, where Paul really lays this out, does he not? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Same thing we saw from Ephesians 4.25 earlier, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. But what I want you to see here is, so we still have that theme then of the great contrast between the lie and the truth. But also, what are the implications of it? Well, we see it here in Romans 1, do we not? With regard to creation. That is to say, 
the rejection of the idea of creation. The rejection of that. In other words, uh, not affirming that God is the one who has made all things according to his law, but also in terms of sexual matters. And so that's, those are the, that's part of the outworking of this rejection of the truth. Even with regard to the law of God then, we see rejection of the truth and the embrace of that which is the lie. And so this is the way we could put it. There are churches today that fly pride flags. And it is to their shame. Those churches are not manifestations of the church of Christ. They are false churches. They are synagogues of Satan. They are believing and affirming the lie. There are churches today that are promoting transgenderism. That is to say, mutilating children. There are churches that are supporting that. The mutilation of children to try to turn them from one sex into another. Such churches are under the wrath and condemnation of God. Beware of them. Look at Romans 13 for a moment. Romans 13. Romans 13. Starting in verse 1. That every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resist the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister or servant to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. There are churches today, my friends, who are promoting civil disobedience. This is contrary to the word of God, shame on them. And so beware of false churches that do not maintain the truth with respect to the law of God, but specifically with regard to the gospel, the truth, if you will, as we've already mentioned. If you go back just for a moment to 1 Timothy 3, go back to just a moment, it's kind of interesting here when you when it talks about this. First Timothy three, verse sixteen. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Um, and it's it's interesting that there it's really without controversy, great is of of the god of the godliness, the mystery. It's interesting how the the, um, we have here the, the emphasis on godliness, but also the idea of the mystery, which is what? Which is the gospel itself, this great mystery that has now been revealed 
in contrast to the lie which the devil tells. So how are there, what, what are there as examples of not maintaining the truth with regard to the gospel? Well, the health and wealth gospel. The idea that God wants you to be rich and healthy. My friends, God does not necessarily want you to be rich or healthy. Remember how the Apostle Paul said, I prayed for God to relieve me of this thorn in the flesh three times, and, and Christ said, My grace is sufficient for thee. God puts hardships in our lives, difficulties in our lives. Remember what Jesus said in John 9? His disciples, uh, well, verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so this notion of a health and wealth gospel is contrary to the gospel. We could also talk about a social gospel and liberation theology. Remember when Miss, we dedicated the Miss Amy walk? Remember that a few months ago? Remember how I, how I mentioned a park just two blocks from here? Statues of churchmen who are not godly? Gods of this world? who reject the gospel and embrace a social gospel, thinking that that's what the gospel's all about in terms of your, your health, your wealth, your status, and so forth. That's a false gospel. And we can also then look, finally, in this regard, at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. where Paul is writing about the man of sin. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11, And for this, cause, for this reason God will send them strong delusion, so that they're, they're confused, strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So rejecting the truth, embracing the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so here we find an example when a church is uh, is given over to this sort of idea of rejecting the truth, embracing the lie, it turns into a synagogue of Satan, including because of his holding to salvation by works and not by grace. So beware of false churches that do not maintain the truth. And finally, please remember that the truth is what leads you to know the living God. The living God is the true God, in contrast to false gods and dead idols. 
The word of God itself is living. It is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Lord Jesus himself is the one who rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. Remember that the truth is what leads you to understand, to know, to love, to have faith in, to embrace, to submit to, and ultimately to obey the living God. It's not there for your pride. Say, look what I know. But it's to lead you to God. And particularly to the Lord Jesus. Because the truth here is that which is in Jesus. And so embrace that message today. And please stand for prayer. And Father, we do pray for thy blessing upon us. We pray that we might be those who hold to and embrace and love the truth because it is the truth as it is in Jesus, our Savior. And so keep us from sin and temptation. Keep us from hypocrisy, O God. Keep us from not being those who are true, as it were. But Lord, we would also pray in the name of the Lord Jesus uh, for the destruction of those churches that do not maintain the truth, that reject the truth. We pray, O God, that uh, they might be seen for what they are as synagogues of Satan. And so bring thy, thine elect out of them and demonstrate to the world who and what they are and all for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.